the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are looking once again at the fall of Babylon here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us as we explore Revelation together. To be sure, there are passages in Revelation that can be rather challenging. Here in chapter 18, we see the fall of Babylon, and we want to focus in on just who Babylon is or what Babylon is and why it needs to fall. That's where we're at today on Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We invite you to spend time with us today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner now with today's program. Now, of course, when it says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, the first thing that should come to our minds is marriage. That it is always forbidden for Christians to marry non-Christians, period. Always forbidden. So don't put yourself in a position where you're going to get emotionally entangled with someone who is not a Christian. Because I know what will happen. You are either going to give up Christianity yourself or try to live two lives, one for the church and a godless one outside the church, or you will convince yourself that this girl or this guy who is affectionate to you, yet barely moral, is a Christian. And you're going to say to your mom and dad, oh, he's a Christian, and they'll ask, well, where does he attend? And your answer will be, I I don't think he does. But in your mind, you will play games in order to satisfy the rebellion in your heart. Now, if we're going to survive a humanistic, anti-Christian civilization that is out to destroy the church, there must be political separation. That is, we must not go the way of the tyrant. There must be ecclesiastical separation. We must not identify ourselves in any way or let our children be taught by false teachers. And thirdly, there must be this marital separation. That is, we must be willing to train our children from their earliest days not to marry an unbeliever. Why would you even want to date an unbeliever if you can't marry an unbeliever? I have seen Christians throw away the rest of their lives, the rest of their lives, because they fell in love with a non-Christian convincing themselves that he or she is a Christian, and then for the rest of their lives, the Christian is miserable. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? There must also be educational separation. Psalm 1-1. A blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. And praise the Lord, I know I'm speaking to the choir here. 
But all over America, there are those who call themselves evangelical Christians who believe that Christian schools and homeschools are just simply a waste of time. I mean, why homeschool your kids or put them in a Christian schools when public schools are free? Beloved, I've heard that argument on many occasions. I've heard other people say, well, public schools didn't affect me. It didn't hurt me. Well, I have had to argue with several over that issue. But do you realize that well over half of the children of evangelical Christians go to public schools every day for 12 years, at least? And if that is the case, you have to understand We can't expect much to happen in the coming generations. So if you have Christian friends in public schools, warn them. Don't sit there and say, well, I can't say anything to them, or they may not be my friends any longer. Oh, they may not. But you must make the attempt to rescue their children. So if you have Christian friends who have their children in public schools, do your best to convince them this is not the place for them to be. They are synagogues of Satan. Is our educational system in America is determined to destroy the church and make your children puppets of the state. That should be obvious to you at this particular point in time. I'll never forget what Dr. Rush Dooney said to me so many years ago. He said, can you imagine the Israelites sending their children to the Philistines to be educated? Can you imagine? You're sending your children to the state that hate you. Not you, but certainly many of your Christian friends. If we're going to survive tyranny... And an anti-Christian civilization, we must give heed to this call, separate from it. Political separation, ecclesiastical separation, marital separation, and educational separation. Because one of the greatest threats to the church throughout history has been synthesis. I think a great paper or sermon or... A master thesis would be to study the role of the effects of synthesis throughout history from the beginning of the human race to the book of Revelation. I think it would be fascinating. But what do I mean by synthesis? I mean attempting to live a life and have a worldview that is a blend of Christianity and the most recent philosophy or ism of the culture in which you live. Black Lives Matter. If you're a Christian, you can't have anything to do with Black Lives Matter, my friends. Rather than seeking to have a pure worldview and lifestyle in accordance with the Word of God, blending what we believe in with the most popular philosophy or way of thinking or lifestyle around us. Do you realize the flood was brought on because of synthesis? God sent a flood because the sons of God intermarried with the sons of men. It was because of the blending of these two lines of the pure line of Seth with the corrupt line of Canaan, of Cain. There was a synthesis that took place. There was a blending of the true faith with apostasy. And that led to a violent world that required a cleansing by Noah's flood. 
And throughout the history of Israel in Canaan, there was always the attempt from the outside and then later by the kings to synthesize with the, the worship of Jehovah with the worship of Baal. That was always a threat. They'd say, oh, it's okay to worship Jehovah, but let's encourage some of the practices of Baal as well. Yeah, they're, they're kind of neat. And it was the same thing in Egypt. And then when you get to the New Testament over and over again, there was the attempt to blend Christianity, a religion of grace, with a religion of works. As you know, the book of Colossians was written to answer the blending of Christianity with a variety of different philosophies and worldviews. In the book of Revelation, we've already seen in the letters to the seven churches, Christ rebuking them for not dealing decisively with false doctrines and isms that had corrupted the church. So one of the reasons we have to stand so strongly against heresy and for the truth is because blending Christianity with anything else prostitutes Christianity and literally destroys it. And that is why there is such a strong call here for us to be separated from the world. Come out from her, my people, that you may not participate in our sins and that you may not receive any of her plagues. Then we have an interesting figure of speech that goes back to the Old Testament in verse 6. Pay her, that is Babylon, Rome, back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup that she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. Now let me ask you a question. It is just to punish someone to the degrees he deserves, right? It is unjust to punish someone more than he deserves, right? So what does it mean here when God is asked to pay back to Rome double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her? Now, God is not going to do anything unjust, he is never going to punish anyone or any culture more than any person or any culture deserves. And as Christians, he's going to punish us a lot less than we deserve. The point is this. In Hebrew, there is an idiomatic expression, punish someone double. And it simply is an idiomatic expression that means to the full extent that that person deserves. It's used several places in the Old Testament. But it can also refer to the fact that there are multiple restitutions. Like if someone steals something for you, they have to pay restitution. If it is particularly valuable and it puts you out in a particular way, then they have to pay you twice or three times, possibly four, or maybe even five times what the original item they stole was worth because of a loss of time, a loss of employment and other hardships that ensued from that particular theft. So that could also be what John is trying to get at here. Restitution needs to be made, double restitution or full restitution at least, because of the way she treated the people of God. Notice in verse 7, the self-assertedness of this tyrannical government. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensually, 
To the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never see mourning. Nothing will ever happen to me. No one will ever bring me down. I, was, I will always be in a place of power and a place of control. Then it goes on to say in verse 8, For this reason in one day, because she was cocky, and remember pride comes before destruction. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensually with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city. For in one hour, your judgment has come. Now, over and over in this text, in verses like 17 and 19, it talks about this judgment. It is coming in one hour, this devastating judgment. It will involve a collapse on all levels. The kings of the earth are going to lament the destruction of this great civilization. And it's certainly not because they loved her, but because of all the great benefits that they had received from her and will no longer be receiving. All aspects of society and culture are going to be judged and destroyed in one hour. Plague, diseases, pandemics, political distress and disillusionment, collapse of business and international trade, loss of monetary purchasing power, and all of this is in our text. Failure of shipping business, increase of violence, the reign of silence, and the death of music, verse 22. I mean, today all you have to do is listen to rap and hip-hop and you can see the death of music. But it's a collapse of the economy. An evasion of darkness that is all forms of evil. A disruption of marital joy and an increase of depression. All of these things literally happen to a country, to a culture, to a civilization that has resisted repentance. That has sought to persecute the people of God. And when God goes to finally destroy them, these are the things that will take place. Beloved, you can study culture after culture, civilization after civilization throughout history, and you will find that these are the things that take place at the end of each civilization because of the judgment of Almighty God. Now, God is saying all of this devastating judgment is going to take place in an hour from now. Now, if you were one of the first people to read Revelation, what would you think? All of this devastation is going to take place in Rome, and it's going to take place in an hour from now? Well, that really means in the very, very immediate future. This is not something you have to wait centuries and generations for. But you are going to see this devastation come upon Rome for its persecution of the people of God and for its sinful character in an hour or in a very, very short period of time. Now, I know what you're saying, but Rome didn't fall until the 5th century. And this was written during the reign of Nero sometime between the early 60s and 68 when Nero died. Well, what else happened during the time of Nero? It's rain. Rome 
burned up. There was the burning of Rome, probably, as I've heard, by Nero himself. And what does this say in verse 8? It says, For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. That fire could have started literally the next day, literally the next hour. But immediately during the same reign of Nero, in which this book refers, Rome burned. And the life that Rome had after that came to an abrupt end for a while, along with all of her luxury. One of the emphasis here in this text is that all of that luxury that Rome enjoyed, verses 12, verse 14, and 14, dried up to a great extent. And, and that's what those people lived for. That was their purpose for living. And all of it came to an end. Let me just take a moment and give you a little idea of the luxury of Rome. At one of Nero's banquets, he had roses that he imported from Egypt. Now, not counting the food, not counting the waiters and the money spent on other stuff for this banquet, but just the money he spent on the Egyptian roses for this one banquet cost in today's monetary value $100,000. One banquet. Another great Roman leader by the name of Marcus Attilius loved delicacies, especially peacock brains and nightingale tongues. Now, can you imagine how many peacocks and nightingales you would have to have slaughtered just to get their little teeny brains and tinier tongues and have platters of it to serve everyone at a party? In less than one year, on food for parties, it is said Attilius spent $20 million. Rusduni says, the significance of this is clear of all of this. The collapse of the dream of Babylon, Rome, of a human paradise, of heaven on earth, a utopia without God, was precipitated by a great economic disillusionment or collapse. That is, God brings man efforts to build a heaven on earth to a complete economic disillusionment and collapse before the, he finally and ultimately destroys it. I want, to turn, want you to turn, please, if you will, to Isaiah 19. But I'd like to remind you first of what Jeremiah 50 and 51 say. God predicts the fall of Babylon. That will be great and devastating. But it says, listen to this, it will enable the faithful people of God to go back home. So when God goes to cleansing a culture, Christians must be wise. You must be careful. But be aware, when God goes to cleansing a civilization and brings it to its knees... It is for our benefit. Now, before I read Isaiah, go back to Revelation and keep your finger there in Isaiah 19. And notice what John said. He says in verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. God brought judgment on Rome for the Christians. 
God brought judgment on the Babylonians for Israel. And that's what he does whenever he brings his final judgment on a human civilization. It is not to destroy his church. It is to destroy the culture that is enslaving and corrupting the church. Now let's look at Isaiah 19. And I'll read verses 1 through 4 and then 18 through 24. Isaiah 1 through 4. The oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. So I will incite Egyptians against Egyptians and they will each fight against his brother and each against his neighbor, city against city and kingdom against kingdom. Then the spirit of the Egyptians will be demoralized within them and I will confound their strategy so that they will resort to idols and ghosts of the dead and to mediums and to spirits. Moreover, I will deliver the Egyptians into the hand of a cruel master, and a mighty king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. And now 18 through 24. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will be speaking the language of Canaan and swearing allegiance to the Lord of hosts, to our God. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. It will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion, and he will deliver them. Thus says the Lord, Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering, and will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but but healing, so they will return to the Lord, and he will respond to them and will heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of the host has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel for my inheritance. So God has great plans for his people. He intends to destroy those enemies that have oppressed them through the centuries, that his people might come to ultimate freedom and prosperity and dominion and exaltation in the earth and unity with each other in the midst of all of our defeated foes. But notice what God did to Israel. He prophesied. He said, someday I'm going to convert Israel. Someday I'm going to make Israel a great nation. And it will worship God just like all the other Christian nations. Christians, nations like Assyria and Iraq and Iran. But before I do, I'm going to cause their hearts and their cultures and their economies to tremble. And I will break them. And I'm going to bring culture and economic and political disillusionment and collapse And then they will come to worship before me. 
That is what God does to a culture that lives in rebellion against him. But it is ultimately for the sake of his people, for you and I, that we may not be enslaved or corrupted by those nations any longer. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 